You're listening to Generate a Life Well-Lived Podcast. I'm your friend and confidant, Erin Gray. I created this podcast for all the generators in the world to inspire you to live a life that you love and desire, that is in alignment with who you truly are, not who you think you should be. Hello, how are we today? Oh, goodness, where do I start? In the previous episode, episode six, I shared with you about thinking about money from a loving place. Obviously, all of us may not be at that point, but that is my intention. That is my goal for each of you. That is my goal for myself. I'm there a large majority of the time. And obviously, I'm a human and I have neural pathways and I have conditioning. And sometimes I go back into scarcity and it's not a problem. But The majority of where I live now is from thinking about money from a very loving place, from an abundant place. And that is my goal for each and every one of you. And what I want you to know, and I said this on the previous episode, episode six was, even though some of you may not be able to make that large of a jump, because I talked about scarcity to sufficiency to abundance, it's totally okay because that was also me too for a very long time, but the end goal is to ultimately end up there. So on today's episode, I want to talk about the opposite of what have you done for money lately? This was also me, a majority of my life working in jobs that I wasn't a hell yes for because they paid me really well. And I call this, my dad actually is the one that introduced me to this term. I don't know if it's like a a well-known term or something he created. I'm sure it's probably a well-known term, but you know, the golden handcuffs, right? It's like you, you get paid so much money that you're willing to compromise yourself and do things in terms of money that you don't necessarily want to do, right? Like you might take on more work or you might stay at a job longer than you actually want to because of either the benefits or the amount of money that they pay you. Um, or maybe you manage a team that you don't want to, because they offered you more money, just all the ways we compromise ourselves for money. And, and, um, so if this resonates with you, I want you to give yourself some grace, guilt, and shame. And you'll hear me say this probably on every episode. It just doesn't have any purpose here. Um, it doesn't move you forward. It doesn't help you evolve. It, um, It feels like shit in your body. And um, I just want you to give yourself some grace because if if you are currently doing this, it's okay. And also having that awareness of where you are and then deciding where you want to go. So awareness is really where your power lies. So way back when, gosh, 20 years ago, maybe, I thought I wanted to go to medical school. So I was in pre-med at the University of Texas at Austin. I was taking Spanish because you can, at least in Texas, you can go to any medical school you want to, as long as you have your pre-med, you know, um, classes, right. And you have your MCAT. And since I was in Texas, I was like, well, a large majority population of people I'm probably going to help are going to be Spanish speaking. So why not be able to have that as my degree and speak to them. So I was at the University of Texas at Austin taking all my pre-med classes and along with Spanish. And I thought I wanted, you know, to be to go into the medical field. So I 
had been a pharmacy tech for some time. And then I transferred over to the hospital pharmacy and I was making all of the IVs for all of the, the people in the, in the hospital. And then a job came open in the pediatric ICU. And I started working over there kind of like a, as a nurse's aide or a clinical assistant and things of that sort. And I saw that, you know, with the patients, obviously there were zero to 18 is where the PICU um, pediatric ICU is. And for me, emotionally, like there were a lot of heart surgeries and there were a lot of car accidents and trauma and um, just stuff that this, this uh, undefined G center was, it was tough for like my heart was just, gosh, it was, it was a lot and the, the patients and the families and really what sealed the deal for me was seeing the doctors and the intensivists and the amount of time that they spent away from their families and, you know, with the residents, cause it was a teaching hospital. Um, you know, I would leave, I would work like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like 12 hour shift, I would leave. And then I would come back and then the residents would still be there. And I know that that's not always the way that your life is when you're a doctor, you know, obviously you go through the, the residency and the fellowship and things of that sort, but I just did not want to, I remember thinking like, number one, obviously from an emotional standpoint, I'm like, I can't do this. And the second having, I didn't care how much money they were going to pay me. It was not worth being gone for my family in that amount of time spent for the years of schooling. And then once you get out the amount of time that I was spending away from, or would be spending away from, um, my family. And so I decided I don't want to do this. So I ended up changing my, um, degree and I ended up getting a, a finance degree and I sat for my CFP, which is a certified financial planner. So you can think about like a, a CPA, which is a um, person that does your taxes, right? Take, you sit and you take a test to know all about the taxes and the tax system. Certified financial planner, which I'm sure probably a lot of you have, um, you know, they, they help you with your investments and estate planning and uh, insurance and kind of the whole gamut. They look at, you know, everything in a, in a holistic way. That's what I had decided that I wanted to do. Also, you know, business finance was, when I say easy, let me say it was just felt a lot easier than organic chemistry for some reason. So I, um, and I really liked it. Like I liked numbers. I liked, I liked the money side of it, the finance side. And so I ended up, you know, graduating and I ended up working for a financial firm. And when you're new in the business, you start from the ground up and what they would call it was like, you smile and dial. And I hated it. I hated it. I dreaded it. I was totally working against my generator self. Like at the time, obviously I didn't know about human design, but, and I didn't know any differently. Right. Like I just thought like, that's what you do in order to be successful. You, you know, meet with people and you talk to them on the phone and, you know, if they're interested, then they come in and you help them. And I just did not like it. Like it was initiating at its highest level, right? Like it was such a manifester thing and I stuck with it and the hours were long. I think it was Monday through Friday, like eight to eight and Saturday, like half a day. And obviously like looking back, I didn't work that full amount of time. I mean, no one can work eight to eight 
12 hours because the brain can't like actually handle that amount of high level thinking for 12 hours straight, which I think they knew that, which is why, you know, they, they had that. So if they're like, if you're going to physically be here for 12, maybe you'll work for six or seven, you know, and then give yourself a, a fighting chance to, to grow your practice. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't obviously have that as a fact or data, but, you know, looking back, I'm like the brain literally intense working like four or five hours, something like that. So I did, I did, up, I did end up doing well there. Um, and I loved my clients. I loved the sitting in front of them and, and helping them and hearing their stories and, and, you know, taking care of their money and educating them about money. Like a lot of people, what I realized is a lot of people don't understand how money worked, how the financial system worked. And it was fun for me to educate them. I had a lot of older clients, which looking back at like 25, you know, you're managing people's money, but I, I loved, I loved that part of educating them and letting them make a decision that they felt comfortable with, um, and, and guiding them. And, and I think I've always had this in me around, like, you know, you might have a seat. CPA, or you might have a CFP, or you have an attorney that you work with, but they are not the boss. You are. And really empowering my clients to have the information and then to be able to make a decision that feels really good for them. Like that was probably the most rewarding part of that job. And even though I love my clients, I hated how much I worked. I probably worked 60 or 70 hours. And looking back, obviously, you know, if I think about all the people I worked with, I probably was maybe one of four or five women in that. I don't know how many advisors were in that office, but there were a lot, there were a lot of men. And I just got to the point of, I just didn't want to work that much. I didn't want to work 70 plus hours a week and exhausted all the time and in traffic. And it just got to the point where, you know, the money, it didn't matter. I, I, I just was, um, I was done working, you know, somebody else's schedule, somebody else's rules. And also, um, side note, you know, during this time I had gone through a divorce and that was, that rocked my world a little bit. And so I just was at a place where I just, I didn't want to compromise myself, um, anymore. Like, when I say that, what I mean is like selling myself on the vision of being able to make millions of dollars, you know, X amount of years in the future, it wasn't, it didn't feel good selling my soul. And when I mean selling my soul, what I mean is just all the hours and all of the working in the way that I didn't want to, which, like I said, I didn't know about human design at that time. Um, and I did get to the point where I was referral based, but just you know, there's this ramp up time, obviously, when you start a business where you do have to, you know, put in the time and I'm all for that. And also this um, belief that it was almost like, oh, if, if you worked more hours, it was almost like very ego driven, right? Like when, uh, Instead of like, you know, in school when you're like, oh, I got the better grade. It was almost like, oh, I've worked more amount of hours, right? It was almost like this, this um, ego, I guess is the only word I can think of, of like, I worked more, I stayed longer, like this pride about working so many hours. And it just got, 
it got really old and it got really tiring. So I ended up quitting after I think five years and I went to work for my dad and my uncle in their construction business. And funny what started as like, oh, I can help you do that. Ended up in like a full-blown CFO controller managing 20 plus employees and always being on, always being connected. I mean, one thing I have learned is I don't do anything like half-ass. I'm pretty committed and all in. And so obviously that's on me. And, you know, I thought what, oh, I'll just work a couple of days a week, you know, cause I'd just come off of working 70 hours. And then here I was back again, like into full-blown, like helping mode and really kind of looking at, so helping them, you know, my dad and my uncle, and when I say restructure their business, I don't mean like completely right, but like changing the way that they might've done things that they had always done them air quotes, always done them. Right. And then me coming in and making suggestions and doing things a little bit differently to maybe streamline it. And to also, um, this was during the 2009 debacle with all the financial industry and in the construction industry at that time, there was a lot of, um, developers that were promising, you know, things to do that they would carry through on the money standpoint and, and they didn't have the money. So really just protecting my dad and my uncle from, um, in that regard and, and really that, that 30,000 foot view. And, um, I was always on and always connected and I was maybe there for two or three years, I think before I got pregnant and, and we had Grayson. And at the time I was physically going into the office, which is about an hour's drive one way. And I remember sitting in um, traffic on the way there, which I didn't mind, you know, I could listen to my books or learn new things, but five days a week got old real quick, 10 hours, you know, on the road. And, um, so when I had Grayson, I told my dad and my uncle, I'm like, I'm working from home. I am not going to pack my baby up and go down there. And, you know, just so I can sit in an office to make either of you feel better. Like I can do, I can be way more effective working from home. I can get so much more done and, you know, talk about like working, compromising yourself for money. I mean, obviously that was 10 plus 12 plus years ago, 10 years ago you know, me not knowing that I could say, listen, I'm going to have a baby and I'm not going to do payroll. Someone else is going to have to step in. And I scheduled, you know, talking about compromising yourself for money. I scheduled Grayson's birth around payroll to make it easier on myself. I would do payroll, I think on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And I scheduled her birth on a Friday so that gave me a full six days before I had to sit up in a chair, but just knowing that I was going to have to sit in a chair for six hours, six plus hours, obviously, you know, with, um, sleep deprived and all the things with the newborn. And here I was, you know, making sure that I was planning payroll around, you know, her birth and not taking time off. And, you know, some of this is because I had an ego and my identity was hung up around being needed. I'm air quoting, right. Nobody's needed. Um, and some of it was because I had a story that if I said no, right, I'm not doing it. Then that meant that I wasn't a team player or that it was going to make somebody else's life harder. These are stories that I had that I had to work through and 
obviously I didn't work through these stories until later, but that's, those are some of the beliefs that I had. And so I just sucked it up and I, and I did it. And, um, you know, I remember sitting on the steps, I don't know, Grayson might've been two or three. And I remember, you know, telling Jason, my husband, like, why am I working so much? You know, why am I working all of these hours and thinking that I had to save all of our, when I say all of our money, I mean, all of the money that I generated from working, all of my money went into savings. I'm like, it's not like we don't have money to, to pay our bills and to go on vacation. But at the time I was in such scarcity that I believed like we didn't have enough. We had to save more and, you know, compromising myself versus saying like, I just want to work two or three days a week and I want to be at home with my kid. Um, and obviously I was a different person then, but all the ways, you know, I'm just sharing with you all the ways that I've compromised myself for money, because obviously it stems from that, that deep seated belief of that scarcity, right? Like we don't have enough or we won't have enough or that we have a belief that we can't do what we love and make money that way. And the thing was, is, you know, I was, I was really good at my job, but it wasn't a hell yes for me. Right. It was, if you've ever read the big leap by, um, gosh, I'll have to put it in the show notes. I think I want to say guy Hendricks, it's either guy Hendricks or gay Hendricks. But if you've ever read the big leap, he talks about like the zone of excellence versus the zone of genius and your zone of excellence is what you do really well without thinking about it, but it benefits everyone else. But your zone of genius is what you do really well. And it benefits you. It lights you up. It it is like an electrifying thing for you. And I think a lot of us are in our zone of excellence. We're really good at our jobs, really good at what we do. You make really good money at it. And it's terrifying to take that leap into, you know, our zone of genius because our brains, when I say it's terrifying, I'm saying it's, it's our brains that think it's terrifying, but leaving that comfort, that stability, that safety net that we've had for so long. And then you throw money on top of it. It's terrifying. And so, um, you know, it just, it wasn't my zone of genius and I was settling and I was too scared to leave because of what the financial impact might be on my family, along with the impact on what it would be for, you know, the company and my dad and my uncle. And obviously that's another ego, you know, there too, because that company was surviving. My grandfather started it, it surviving for 30, 40 years before me, right? Did it run better with me? Maybe, um, maybe not. I don't know. You might ask my dad, and my uncle, they may tell you differently, but, um, you know, the, the ego wants you to believe that like, you're so needed and, you know, people can't live without you and it'll be fine. Like I always, you know, towards the end, it was like, if I were to die today, you guys would figure it out. Right. And so our ego sometimes keeps us in this loop, um, of doing things we don't want to do. Um, making us believe that we're the only ones that can do it. And um, so I had to work through possibly disappointing my dad and my uncle because I was like their right-hand person. And those were the things, just very few, right? When I say very few, those are just a couple of things that I had to believe and stories that I had to work through in order to be able to leave. 
And obviously, you know, if I would have known about human design back then and acting from my sacral, if, if I would have asked myself, you know, do I want to continue to work here? My answer would have been, uh, uh-uh. uh, and the thing is with the sacral, our job is to follow it. Even when our minds are freaking out, continuing to live a life that goes against our sacral leaves us burnt out. It leaves us overwhelmed and not really, you know, our true selves. And the other thing about staying in jobs that we don't love for money is that we're telling ourselves that we're telling the universe actually that we accept the mediocrity and none of us are mediocre material. We deserve only the best and we have to be the ones to take that first step. And now who I am now and what I've learned about different laws and uh, the way that we live in a very supportive universe is the universe is really patiently waiting for us to show it that we accept only the best. And once we, we get to that vibration, it will serve that right up to us. Right. But we have to have the courage to go first. I like to think of it like the parachute doesn't open when you're in the airplane. You actually have to jump out of the airplane and then your parachute opens up. But a lot of times we want to go the other way. We want to see the evidence first, but we have to have the belief in ourselves, belief in that we live in a loving universe, belief that we live in a supportive universe, that when we act from our sacral, that it's, you know, our highest good, that that acting from our highest good is, it will always work out. We don't know how, but it will, right? And um, it's, it's having trust. So questions that you can ask yourself to help you turn on your sacral and get into your body. And I'm gonna use this in front of every question I ask. If I had a hundred million dollars, because for me, I have to ask that question I have to frame it that way around money because then it gets me out of my head because I am so conditioned around money. You can see me, if you will ask me a question, you can see me go from my body to my head. If it is something that is um, like money related, if I don't put that, if I had a hundred million dollars, it makes it very clear for me to make a decision. My my sacral is like, "Uh uh-huh or "Uh uh-uh. Like you can just ask me the questions. But sometimes if I'm not mindful, Um, and I don't put that little, I guess, caveat or that language in front when I'm asking myself, you'll see me go back into my head because of the deep conditioning that I have around, um, money. So a couple of questions to, to ask yourself, if you had a hundred million dollars, would you continue to stay in the job that you're in? If you had a hundred million dollars, would you keep prolonging going after your soul's desire? If you had a hundred million dollars, would you start the business that you've been thinking about for the last couple of months or years? If you had a hundred million dollars, would you stay in the marriage that you're in? This hasn't necessarily been true for me, but I do know people that have stayed in marriages because their spouse was the primary money earner. And that is another way that we compromise ourselves for money. And then the last one is if you had a hundred million dollars, Would you take six months to a year off and give yourself some time and space? 
So you don't have to do anything with those answers. It's just awareness. Like I said, right? The first step is awareness. It's getting you to, to tap more into your body and getting you to feel what that sacral response feels like. And just start there. Just start with the awareness and getting your answers and staying curious. So until next time, from my soul to yours. Thanks for tuning in today. If you want to receive your human design chart, you can head over to my website at Generate a Life Well Lived to receive your free chart. As always, from my soul to yours.